Hello, or good morning, or good evening, wherever you are. My name is Canon, the host of Bubble Radio. So today I have a cute little guest, Minasa Kasai, who was born from the same womb as me. In other words, my little sister. She's currently an undergraduate student in Hokkaido University, specializing in neuroscience. And we mainly discuss mood regulation and exercise, as well as talking some of her personal opinion. On the psychological effects of quarantine. Now, a quick disclaimer she's still a student and is still learning, so if you could listen to this episode as just one point of view, well, as you probably should with anything you hear, then that would be great. References are in the description if you like to read into it, but without further ado, let's get into the talk <laughs> about our radio. <laughs> okay, so. Hello, everybody. So today I have a guest who is very smart and a passionate. <laughs> If you have been following my Canon PL Instagram page, she appears a couple of times, not even a couple of times, like many, many times here. And I would, I'm very, yes, <laughs> not yet. I would, I'm very excited to introduce my younger sister, Minasa Kasai. Thank you for being on the show. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Are you nervous? Nah. Okay. <laughs> so. Big question. Give us a brief introduction about yourself, please. Why is that a big question? Because <laughs> we have a lot to talk about.、Um, okay, so. <laughs> oh, like what I do and stuff? Yeah, just、okay. about your life. Okay, well, I was born in Yokosuka. <laughs> Were you really? Yokohama? Yeah.、Um, and I was raised in Australia.、Mm-hmm. And now I'm in Japan, or Sapporo.、Mm-hmm. Sapporo, Japan. <laughs> I'm studying biology and I recently joined a lab in、uh, com- comparative neuroanatomy. Wow. Studying、uh, cetacean brains, so comparing different regions of the brain、um, to other mammals using immunohistochemistry. <laughs> pretty big to start with. And you're doing something with whales, right?、That's、yeah.、Like、um... Sorry, is that too loud? <laughs> Wait, is that too loud?、Like、no, no, no, this is good. Okay, well, I'm studying not whales specifically,、mm-hmm. but、uh, a lot of different marine mammals. Okay. But、uh, since I probably won't have time with the corona thing, yeah. Like, because I'm not in the lab,、right. I'll probably just focus on whales for now. Okay. And compare it with different brain regions of. Other mammals. Nice. So I think we'll get to that. Well, we won't get to that topic. <laughs> we'll talk, talk a little bit about the, your specific、uh, specialized field later on.、Okay. So I think like, some listeners are probably like, not aware of our upbringing and might be curious as to why your English is so good. Can you, like, why? And you why、explain? your English is so shit. Yeah, <laughs> <Can> exactly. <laughs> so, um, What is your background pretty much? Well, you pretty much said it, but why is your English so good? And do you speak Japanese? A little bit. Okay. But. Do you struggle with speaking Japanese here? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, a conversational Japanese is fine. Yeah. But formal language, I'm very not good. Okay. And, but you went to, like, 
you went overseas. You were born in Japan, went to overseas when you were five years old, right? Five, yeah. Yep, until? 17. 17. So that's, what, 12 years overseas, right? Yeah. So that means, like, most of your life. Yeah, I'm overseasian. Overseasian. <laughs> what are some of, like, the struggles that you have being a Japanese looking person well pretty much japanese but like having a different mentality yeah. on the inside like do you have any struggles with that like coming a back lot. to japan my whole life is a struggle <laughs> explain those struggles okay um well first of all there's the cultural differences mm-hmm. right um so japan has a very different culture as we both know mm-hmm. and as i have cried about in the past <laughs> so Same. um not to be like not to bash Japanese yeah. culture at all. It's just something that would be very difficult to accept if mm. you have a different cultural background. Mm. And I think that's part of the whole culture shock thing. Yeah. And trying to accept that is the biggest, one of the biggest challenges of my life. Is it like because you feel like isolated and lonely in a way? Yes. And also because you try to see the, like, what do you call it? You try to make sense of the culture, right? Yeah. But it's very hard for you to do that because even, like, Australian culture and Japanese culture are, like, very, very different. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, obviously there's isolation yeah. from not understanding mm-hmm. but really wanting to get it. Yeah. Um, Especially if it's your mother country, you know? Yeah. I don't need what... Oh, yeah, Japan's my mother country. Yeah, pretty much. And then you having, like, the Japanese heritage and you're Mm. supposed to have, you know, certain ways of being Japanese and coming back here and not uh, experiencing what you have expected is probably a big, like, not gap. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we both look... Japanese yeah and we're expected to yeah. know that and we were expected to know the Japanese language mm. but then when you see the complete opposite yeah I feel like a lot of people have the reaction of like oh she's just stupid yeah or like she's like really socially just weird yeah you know which is kind of true but still <laughs> same and I think like that makes me wonder like people who don't look Japanese right mm. but have a lot of Japanese beliefs mm. compare that to us who yeah. looks Japanese yeah. and have you know overseas beliefs yeah. whatever yeah. Do, which one do you think is like harder like because um, a lot of people kind of complain like oh just because I don't look Japanese yeah I feel like so isolated but we feel isolated too because yeah. we look Japanese but on the inside it's like yeah. completely different so I guess yeah. like I, I feel I feel like being not look not looking Japanese on the outside is a lot harder because a lot of people here judge by appearances. Yeah. So at least on for us on the surface level, we yeah. still have some level of like acceptance. But there's like gaijin like Yeah, but you um, struggle with that acceptance. Yeah. Like people think you should act a certain way, but we don't. Yeah. So that's, that's another a uh, 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 hurdle. Hadoru. <laughs> that's another hadoru. Yeah. Like a brick wall. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an obstacle. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Maybe I think, yeah, both of them is a serious mindfuck. Yeah. I'm allowed, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to You're allowed to swear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> and um, you have been studying in Hokkaido University, which is one of the leading universities in Japan. And you 
major in biology, am I correct? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. But you specialized in comparative neuroanatomy. Anatomy. Yeah. Okay. And can you, is that different to something like cognitive neuroscience? Yes, it is. Um, well, I guess cognitive neuroscience is the broader. Yeah. Term for it. Okay. So it's exactly what the name says. It's、mm. looking at cognition from a, from the perspective of the brain.、Mm. So with that, you can use so many different types of approaches.、Right. And compa- I'm not like specializing in comparative comparative neuroanatomy. Like I'm not an expert, obviously. Yeah. But I'm using that to try to understand like cognit cognition and emotion and stuff like that. Right. So it's just one way to look at the brain. Okay, so、yeah. comparative neuroanatomy is a part of cognitive neuroscience. Pretty, you、much. could say that, yeah. Yeah, and is that something different to, for example, like behavioral neuroscience? Yeah, behavioral neuroscience is really look not looking at.、Um, well, if you, it's it's a very like a、uh, gray zone,、mm. I guess, because if you say behavioral science,、mm-hmm. right, you're looking at. The obviously the behavior of animals and humans and how they interact. So、yeah. it's, I guess, a little less related to the brain structure.、Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about behavioral neuroscience, that can also include comparative neuroanatomy because、right. you're looking at the anatomy of the brain to figure out why that behavior occurs.、Mm. So it's all very much linked. And I feel like if like trying to separate it,、yeah. um, does create barriers. Yeah, because the whole like. Even the whole, what do you call it? The study of、mm-hmm. neuroscience in itself is like very integrative. So you have a lot of different、yeah. um, fields coming in, and I that like makes me think that even if you have gray zones in the, in the field of neuroscience, right? You must have gray zones in other fields as well. Like for example, like seeing activities in the brain, and you know you can actually like directly observe. Some physiological factors, numbers going up, blah blah blah,、mm. and we can directly measure that. But I also feel like, like it could also be very subjective. Like for example, I feel better or、yeah. I feel this emotion. Like,、yeah. is it hard to draw like a line to separate, for example, like a field with psychology and sociology and neuroscience as well? Well, I guess what we Want to do is not separate it、mm. in a way、okay. because, for, like we all we know how the brain works.、Yep. We know that it's electrical firing and chemical signaling, right?、Mm-hmm. And we know the different circuits. But then we, even if we know that, we don't know how subjective feeling comes from just that. Yeah, we can look at the physical part of everything,、yep. and that's what people consider as science, right?、Yep. But then. We will. We also want to integrate psychology and philosophy into it because th- that's not independent. Yeah. You know? And we still don't know, like, why do we feel this way or why、mm. do we think this way? And I feel like by separating subjective and objective, that creates like a misunderstanding. Yeah. People just think, oh yeah, neuroscience is just looking at the physical part of everything. Yeah. And you can't tell with ev- with just that,、mm. you know. So what I'm really actually interested in is like bridging that gap between subjective and objective, which can be a little bit scary because you're trying to find like the physical mechanism、mm. of something that's not there,、mm. like it doesn't seem like it's there. Yeah. So that can be really interesting, but it's a very difficult. Yeah, is、topic. that even like, 
is do you think it's like possible to even study that because there's so many factors involved mm. right yeah and it's I, I feel like it's very very hard to just like i don't know even come up with anything like yeah you can't really say a lot right because yeah. everybody's different yeah. and that's what makes it very very hard everyone yeah. experiences different things and stuff yeah. like that mm-hmm. so Good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> but even with individual variations, right? Like yeah. that's when sociology becomes mm. really important and like what is it, anthropology. Yeah. Like that kind of even those fields. So we're just trying to integrate all of these fields together yeah. because they're all trying to basically I feel like a lot of them try to answer the same question mm. but from a different viewpoint. Right. And like what is life basically. Mm, there And there's no right or wrong, right? Yeah. Pretty much just like where – because obviously like different fields and different specialists have different points point yeah. of views and stuff like that so mm. but one perspective can be just one perspective can be limiting yeah. yeah but do you like obviously you study a lot of like different class like different topics mm. like you study psychology <laughs> and other shit like that yeah does that help you like yes. with your specialized field yes yes it sure. does okay yeah but then i Sometimes I do feel frustrated. Yeah. Because I read psychological studies and, like, part of my brain is, yeah. like, that's a lot of bull crap. Yeah. But then another part is, like, okay, maybe I can use that yeah. to, uh, like, enhance my understanding mm. of everything else. It's, like, many voices speaking in your head. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That is so frustrating. <laughs> Conclusion. That's Conclusion. so frustrating. Yeah. Um, well, so I wanted to start... Well, mainly today, I'm thinking of discussing uh, physical exercise and mood regulation. Okay. Okay. And I think it's important first to cover what, how, what is, big question, what is mood and how is mood regulated in the brain? And maybe you can touch up on what kind of areas of the brain is are involved. Okay. That's a big question. Yeah. Like, um... And we've had arguments about it. Yeah. So no, it's, it's very hard writing these questions and not knowing, uh, like, a lot of your field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And I only know the surface level, first mm-hmm. of all. I want to note yes. that I'm just a student yes. who knows basically nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just want to ask to you, okay. like, what do you think mood is? Mood? Yeah. Emotion is the first thing I think. Okay. Thoughts. Maybe when thoughts come together, it creates a certain... Like a feeling, right? Yeah. Like that kind of definition, I guess, is very common. Mm. But then you... Like what you just did is describe a word with another word. Mm. So you just keep asking like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Mm. And what does that mean? What does emotion mean? What does that subjective feeling mean? And that's when we get to like very like a boom, brick mm. wall. So a proposed definition can be a, uh, thought of as a pro- like mood is a prolonged subjective feeling. Okay. Right. Um, so it's not as intense as emotion mm. is what scientists say, um, and it's not specific to a certain stimulus. So it's not like uh, you seeing a bear and you feeling fear. Mm. It's a little bit different to that because that's instantaneous. It's short term, right. but mood is like an overall like state of being. Right. right? Like that's what you get from the word mood. Mm. So 
even like how mood is regulated really depends on the type of mood as well and uh, obviously our definition of it so um, that in itself is even debated right so like do we have one definition for happiness mm. or like a happy mood like a sad mood do we have one definition for that mm. and that has like a lot of different like cultural variations as well yeah so that comes into play and like gets really complicated yeah and what differentiates mood from emotion mm. but that was like the definition that i just gave is just one possibility right you know so because of this like the mechanism is very hard to right like understand do you think it's like something that it's it can be controlled so do you think like mood for example like i go outside and i feel good is that like a conscious thing or is that like a subconscious thing so i just want to talk about a couple of theories of how mood is uh affected okay and maybe that can help to answer the question okay okay so i the first i want to explain the classical view that people have of emotion. This is the one that makes the most sense to us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it seems that to us, like when we think about mood, it comes out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Like it's built into us. So with this in mind, scientists have tried to look for fear circuits and anger circuits and this like definite like neural circuit mm-hmm. for one emotion or one mood. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when we hit a brick wall. <laughs> um, and so we've actually found no emotional footprint, which means like there's no evidence of one category of emotion having one neural circuit okay. and one definition. So like an anger circuit. There's like yeah. Happy. We don't yeah. have that. We don't have that. Like we don't, we can't find that. Okay. And that is the, that's called the emotion paradox. Okay. So that's the emotion paradox. Okay. Like, we experience what what we think is, like, fear, surprise, Mm. happiness. And it seems that they're in these categories, right? But we can't find the neural basis for them. Mm. That's the emotion paradox. So it's not true. I mean... With this, with that approach, it's very difficult to move forward. Mm. So there's another actual, there's another theory, right, that's put forward, and I think it's really interesting, um, put forward by cognitive neuroscientists, mm-hmm. um, and that's called the theory of constructed emotion. So um, one book that I be, that I'm reading right now is called How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett, and uh, it I, it just uh, describes how well i'll give you an example so we're not an example like an analogy we're making predictions in our everyday world right Mm -hmm. so when we see something or we experience a situation we associate it with our past experiences right yeah and and we try to relate it to anything statistically related to what we've experienced before Mm. so this is our way of our brain trying to save energy by trying to match the experience so that's the predictions that we make in everyday life so it's very relative everything that we feel is relative to what we felt before yeah i i guess you could say that so by trying to predict what we've seen in the past that's how we what do you call it sorry (laughs) that's how uh obviously we save energy and we like um, act 
effectively in that environment. Okay. So that one way that we could look at mood in with this in mind is a positive mood uh, regulation. Mm. So by predicting the environment, we minimize uncertainty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that reduces anxiety, that reduces stress, and that can actually be seen in the release of neuropeptides. Okay. So when we try to minimize, when we minimize uncertainty in our environment, we feel that we are like calm. Mm. That we there's less to worry about. Okay. Because we've seen it before, mm. right? So that's a way. Looking at it functionally, that's a way that mood could be linked to our prediction of the world. So okay. it, when we encounter stimuli. Mm. Um, and another way that we can look at it in terms of like negative yep. valence mood is when the prediction does not match what okay. we expect. So um, in this way, our body actually sends out signals mm. um, for us to be able to adapt to that new environment. Right. Right. So for example... Um, in the book that I just mentioned, mm. uh, the uh, author actually describes an example mm-hmm. of if you're walking past your scary boss, right? The brain predicts the need for an increase in energy, right? Because you need to adapt somehow to that. It might be like not a very good example, but that's what your uh body does Mm. so it tries to i guess it could be considered a stress response Mm -hmm. and tries to increase the amount of energy available for Mm. you to adapt to that to that stimulus okay and i guess this is what we could categorize as nervousness or fear Mm. um and so these cascades of uh physiological responses such as the release in cortisol and increase in blood sugar levels Mm. is what creates that notion of like i'm freaking out here you know what i mean and that's mood that could be considered mood but mostly it's um you being aware of that physiological response it's not the response in itself but you being aware that you're experiencing it Mm. which is called interoception okay so interoception is the awareness of your bodily states and what is happening to you so that is where the so you just you being aware that you're experiencing a physiological response right could be linked to what mood is oh so you feel it first so there is a certain physical reaction first and then you are feeling a certain way about that physical physiological reaction so wow yeah so even if like i explained to you before even if you're experiencing the same physiological response in a different context, mm-hmm. right? That's gonna induce a different type of mood state. Right. So if you if you have, for example, if you're standing on stage mm. and you experience that like that rush of adrenaline or like, you know, the cortisol levels rising, that can be thought of as just stage fright. Mm. Or well, I guess that's both negative when mm. you're fearing your boss and fearing stage fearing the stage. But like it could be considered excitement as well, mm. you know. So there's different different definitions that we can categorize these kind of like responses. So, so what? So that's what. So we are pretty much like controlled by environment. Um, I guess you could or by the our body. Pretty not much. controlled, but affected. Mm. So it's not that the environment controls us. It's just. It's actually like a bi-direction. So we have, 
we are affected by our environment and like but it really depends it doesn't mean that every single person has the same thing right mm. so everything it depends on the person and it depends on the environment so it, that you can't really say whether like environment 100% affects us yeah yeah okay that those what three theories it was two two yeah it sounds like three <laughs> yeah i mean um the classical view and yeah. then the the theory of construction con- the constructed emotion in terms of positive mood so uh, right um uh, minimizing uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, releases uh, reduces stress mm. and then uh when we when the predictions don't match mm. is when we experience our body reacting right 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 right, right okay 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 so that is just like really just the tip of the iceberg mm. some people say that we experience cognition first before mm. we experience the cycle the physiological responses so we can think oh this situation has made me scared before i feel scared and then the physiological responses uh come about but that can that's a little bit less popular mm. view okay um but like it might seem like i just want to add that it might seem a little bit like oh we're hopeless we're just vic- a victim of our mm. own bodies but in reality these like these subjective feelings are really important because they drive us to the next action right mm. so they make us avoid certain situations or they make us motivated to do certain things mm. so these things subjective feelings are very still very important okay and i feel like yeah exactly what you said it does sound like a very like a subconscious thing like it's not something yeah. that we do have control over well for me it does sound like that mm-hmm. and you know maybe people who just listen to what you said might be like who cares about that where emotions come from because i just know that i feel it right Mm -hmm. like what is the point like how would this all be practical like knowing this how is this piece of information useful in the big picture okay well i think that's a really good question actually because where i described that we could feel because of this theory we could feel that we're a victim of our own bodies Mm. but like you described our common perception of emotion is actually a lot more restricting because right. it's basically saying, "Oh, I just feel it, mm. right? Like I'm there's nothing I can do about it." But I feel like trying to this shows that your environment is affecting you. Mm. So the way that you change your environment can be uh, can affect the way that you feel. Mm. I feel like so. Um, yeah, basically, being able to understand that it's not just you're not just one body. Yeah. Like, I mean, you are. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That you can somehow interact with your environment so you have healthier emotions mm. and emotional reactions. And understanding the mechanism of emotion is just, for me, it seems very important. Mm, for sure, because, I don't know, like the first classical view of it, it, it's easier for us to believe it because it's easier for us to understand. Yeah. Like, it's more of a convenient piece of information, like yeah. piece of, you know, a definition of yeah. what emotion is. Yeah. But knowing, like, all these different... And these two are just, as you said, tip of the iceberg. Mm. So there are tons of other theories and stuff yeah. like that as well, right? Yeah. I mean, even with, like, just a little bit of... Yeah, tangent, yeah, yeah. But, like... Even with genetics, right, people don't know why we have certain combinations of chromosomes. But mm. 
for when I was learning it in high school and I used to ask why is there just random mixing of chromosomes people just summed it up to like oh it's just the way it is mm. it's just the way that it happens mm. and leaving the what do you call it just summarizing it in that way for me mm. I feel like it's not a good enough explanation so right. emotion just happens yeah. it's just the way things are yeah. I just I feel like that's the very limiting mm. like way to think about it and it feels like you did like to come to this point of interest I feel like you asked so many questions about like in your head like for example why do I want this job because of this or because in the end it's always like because I want to be happy mm. but then I think I feel like you proceed to question <laughs> why does it feel like to be why happy? do I need to be happy yeah <laughs> what is happiness yeah. like what is emotion I feel like this is like I don't know maybe there's like a deeper level but I feel like this the basic foundation of just I don't even know how to explain yeah what it's, this feels it's, um, to be human it's in it's not a I would say it's not the most pleasant conversation to have yeah because it's like basically questioning everything in your life mm. but for me that's just how I find yeah like ease and you know accomplishment or whatever mm. but um I can understand 100% why even questioning something that feels so natural to us mm. can be like not scary but mendoxai yeah <laughs> see like that see that emotion in itself you don't know yeah that's like true. how would you describe that in english because there's no words mm. bothersome annoying <laughs> too much effort too much effort yeah mm, that's true yeah fuck i forgot what i was gonna say but i feel like some people might be like okay like you just said oh i feel very like controlled by my body and mm. to some degree that might be true right mm. do you ever like feel restricted learning about all these things um yes and no when i was when i was reading about free will mm. i felt like dying because i was like fuck we have no free will yeah that was but i feel like with that in mind it's like it's just up to experimentation you know mm. like i've experimented with myself mm. and that sounds so weird <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense yeah um like i've for example when i first learned that there was a fast track and a slow track to emotion which i explained when mm. we weren't recording right but um just basically like after time your cognition starts to take over the natural instincts right mm. So I've tested that when Rue, our brother, mm. um, <laughs> when he hey, made me mad <laughs> <laughs> um, one time, I just separated myself from the situation. Right. Like and physically. Yes. Okay. And then I just sat in the toilet and I, in the toilet, <laughs> I just sat there okay. and I was like, just trying to calm myself down before acting on it. Mm. And then I came out and I was it was completely different because mm. I've and same with like when I'm working at the call center, right? I there's an angry customer that comes onto the phone call, <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, this person is angry. I'm going to just put them on hold for about three minutes, right? right? And then after you come back, they're a little bit more like mm. able to think clearly, right? And I feel like that is in itself is amazing mm. like if you're feeling impulsive anger just separate yourself from the situation 
because in that in that instantaneous like moment you might be a victim of your psychology yeah but then if you just think of like have habit no train yourself mm. to separate yourself from the situation it might help to leave you for sure because sometimes when you are super angry like the yeah. rage is crazy that you don't really see anything except for that yeah and i think it's very important to and it's it, it's a lot of effort i think it takes a lot of strength to remove yourself from that situation mm-hmm. because you just want to go at it mm. and rage is victim of your own biology biology <laughs> biology but yeah i mean you might think that so what i with what i just explained with the the what is it theory of constructed emotion that rage is coming from that your prediction didn't match what the situation yeah. was right but then if your previous predictions are oh i've had this experience of rage before mm. like you put that in your memory like last time i separated myself from the situation it was like, okay maybe i'll do that now you know like it might seem a little bit hoopla but yeah like it makes it makes like sense i feel like yeah to like even applying that theory yeah it shows that yes you can change your reaction mm. no matter how much free will is an illusion yeah <laughs> yeah so just by even acting on something even if you don't mm. think it's might help might yeah, help. yeah 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 you know what I mean? okay well i think that was like a really well basic topic that we needed to cover because mm-hmm. i really do want to move into like the topics of um exercise because you know this okay. is an exercise podcast yeah and i feel like uh like physical activity has received a lot of like attention for its health benefits mm-hmm. especially i don't know i feel like recently it has mm-hmm. maybe in like the past 30 40 years yeah. but um you know it, it has there's data saying that it improves our microbiome leading to like a better immunity mm-hmm. like it helps with metabolic diseases like diabetes and glucose like intolerance and bone density of course cardiovascular health and i think like a large area that has been studied is like its effects on the brain as well mm-hmm. like on the last episode i also talked about um with my friend ayano who's a graduate student in neuroscience yeah you just <laughs> and, <into me. laughs> and and we talked about like the effects of physical activity on the prevention of Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. Right. I've read a few things. It's also been observed that exercise, especially um, aerobic exercise, mm-hmm. has some antidepressive effects. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it there seems to be like emerging evidence that exercise does promote similar effects as some antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, some uh, doctors use it as like a treatment option as well. Mm-hmm. Like they have like a they put prescribed exercise and antidepressants but at the same time i also wonder if physical exercise was effective just as effective then why do we still take medication Mm. you know like i also wonder those things and i wanted to know like what are your takes on it and i know that it's not very clear yeah so it's very hard to say but if there were or if there weren't any benefits Mm -hmm. of exercise on our mood or Mm. our what would you say is the mechanism behind it? Okay. That was a long-ass question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like 
first of all, like when you said, why do people still take medication, right? Mm. When we're talking about depression, it's a it's a chronic illness yeah. that is characterized by loss of interest and lack of motivation. So it makes sense that people who are depressed cannot have does not have enough motivation to keep up a regular exercise program. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I thought when I was listening. To step even outside of the yeah. door to move your body. That is the illness in itself. Mm. You can't like that is the problem of they're not able to maintain that consistency in working out and trying to create that motivation in the first place. Mm. So I feel like that's why people go to medication because it seems like a quick solution. Mm. You know, but um that aside, I feel like there are benefits 100% to uh of exercise on your brain. Mm. Um I did look up a little bit on like depression uh, the effects of exercise on depression. Mm-hmm. Um but first I want to revise on the terminology, right? So yeah. You use depressed and grief in like in synonymous ways, but I feel like depression is a completely different right. word. So mm-hmm. as I described, it's chronic illness, mm-hmm. and it's uh, feelings of negative uh, valence and arousal, which is basically negative mood, um, a loss of interest, lack of motivation, to the point of affecting your everyday life. Right. So to yeah. So with that in mind. That in itself, there's a lot of different symptoms, mm-hmm. a lot of different characteristics to it that we still do not understand. Right. And with the mechanism uncertain, it's difficult to actually be like, this exercise affects this because of this. There's mm. no like direct cause and effect mm. relationship that we can see because we don't know the mechanism of depression. Yeah. So, but that aside, there are some popular approaches. So I'm going to raise three. Mm. Okay. So the first one is uh, very popular. Um, it's in Legally Blonde, increasing of endorphins, right? Right. Which makes us happy. Um, so that is a very tip of the iceberg statement, but it does have some, um, I guess, truth behind it. So the endorphins are a class of neurotransmitters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and these are used to communicate between neurons. So... Depression is known, actually, one of the theories of the mechanisms of depression is that it's a natural decrease or deficiency in serotonin and, like, norepinephrine levels. So Mm. uh, deficiency in all of these neurotransmitters that are essential Mm -hmm. to regulating mood and basically to regulate everything in our brain. Yeah. So um, with that theory of the neurochemistry being the mechanism of depression... Exercise can affect that because the exercise make those makes those chemicals more readily available. Mm. Um, so, but do we know that endorphins are linked to depression? Endorphins, well, it's very. I guess endorphins in itself is uh, known as the run, like inducing the run high. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess if depression is a lack of motivation, lack of. Mm. Uh, positive mood it, endorphins are the opposite of that mm. so it's an endogenous opioid right which sounds good at first but <laughs> yeah I don't know I if mean, it sounds good <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it basically reduces pain right. and boosts pleasure. right mm. so 
Um, there are many studies that tried to test this theory, and I, I looked at it, but a lot of the results are still inconclusive. Right. So you can't really like definitely state this is the cause and effect. Mm. But there are also other neurotransmitters involved. So like there's uh, dopamine. Mm-hmm. So one study actually. Um, there was an increase in dopamine levels in the prefrontal cortex <laughs> of young male rats. So um, it actually shows an increase in dopamine when you exercise. Mm-hmm. So um, that dopamine is has actually been found um, in like PET scans to indicate the willingness to expend effort for larger rewards. So it's more about your mo- motivation. Mm. So... Dopamine can have re- can have relations to motivation. Right. Endorphins can uh, give us that high that we feel when we exercise. Mm-hmm. So with these kind of, I guess I didn't mention that endorphin endorphins might be uh, deficient in depressed mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. patients, but um, that's kind of a I don't know. It's a bit of a gray zone there as well. Yeah. Um, but usually depression is a lot of like a bunch of neurotransmitters mm. that are not, that are lacking. Mm. Yeah. So that's like one theory. So okay. we're talking about the chemicals in the brain. Mm-hmm. And then another theory is talking about the physiological approach. So um, I'll try to make this as short as possible. Okay. Um, but there's... A very it might be useful to actually just know in general, but there's a pathway in your body called the HPA, so the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So the so just to very very briefly ex- explain it. So uh, wait. So <laughs> the um, the hypothalamus in the brain. Um, releases a chemical called corticotropin releasing hormone and that is that activates the uh, pituitary gland in the brain as well um, that releases adrenocorticotropic hormone and that activates the adrenal cortex so there's three different so it's like a cascade cascade yeah involved um, and the adrenal cortex releases cortisol which is the very famous cortisol known commonly as a stress hormone although mm. That is a little bit of a, what do you call it, misinformation. Mm. But this pathway is really important when you're thinking about uh, depression and stress in general, really. So um, in depression, you actually have a hyperactivation of this uh, of this pathway. So um, hyperactivation meaning too much. Too much, yeah. So there's an overall increase in the cortisol response to stress. So right. you're more, uh, what do you call it, vulnerable to stress, I guess. Mm. And you're constantly having that stress response. So obviously that's going to have detrimental impacts to your mental health. So in this, when you're thinking about this, exercise actually has a very interesting relationship with depression in this perspective. Um, so exercise stimulates the same axis. So when you're experiencing that, like, when you're, for example, if you're running and experiencing those, like, huffy, puff, puff, puff. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's how you run. Blood pressure and, you know, you're feeling all of these things. Mm -hmm. That is known to be part of the stress response. You're experiencing the physiological responses to that. Because it might be a little bit weird, but exercise can be considered a stressor. 
Yeah, no, 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 I've definitely heard about that, yeah. In the most positive sense of the word. Yeah. Um, so during exercise, we experience that physiological response. Mm. But then um, after ex- exercise, we experience lower cortisol levels. So that's about 90 minutes after exercise. So um, in this way, we can think that exercise affects the activation of the HPA axis to a given stressor. Like, I've heard of this, sorry to interrupt, I've heard of this thing before. It's like people who train, people yeah. who run, people who are, does resistance training mm. are so used to uh, receiving stress and putting up with that stress yeah. that a lot of the other stresses in life yeah. don't feel like too much of a stress yeah. anymore. I've heard about that. Yeah. That's why it's like a mental training as well is mm. what I've also heard. Mm. I don't know if that has anything to do with this. I think so. Yeah, yeah. because it actually improves the recovery Mm. from like recovery of cortisol in response Mm. to stress right so not resetting but like regulating that natural stress response cycle yeah whereas in depression that's all over the place it's Mm. hyperactive and constantly being yeah so in that way exercise could improve the physiology of you (laughs) <laughs> but I didn't even think of depression as a very stressful mm. disorder. I feel like it was like lack of motivation. Yeah. No anything. I don't know yeah. because I've n- never had depression before. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think about stress, mm. you think about excitatory, right? Like you think of like, yeah. Junkie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I feel like depression is like the result of feeling too much of that. Mm. So, um, I guess it's if you have a rise in stress of chemicals, mm-hmm. that is a self protection response, right? And if you're consistently experiencing that, like self protection, mm. you're going to feel like unmotivated. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know the link between those two, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, but I feel like that is the symptoms are the result of too much stress so maybe that could be like the link between anxiety and stress uh depression yeah as yeah well. because mm. they they use actually quite hand in hand right? mm. like anxiety and depression yeah disorders. so like both both um like um disorders seem to have like very like similar um mechanisms mm. i guess yeah even though they seem different but most of the time it's a self-protection response that is overactivated mm. if you're thinking about the physiology of it. Mm. But obviously that that's with major depressive disorders. But um, with other depression depressive disorders, there's different symptoms. So I can't like say that this is yeah. that. So, okay. Yeah. So that's the physiology of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third yeah. uh, perspective is the psychological, mm-hmm. um, which is the more the most airy kind of uh, hypothesis, I guess, um, and that's just that's just saying that exercise provides a distractor to not focus on the problems that you're experiencing when you're feeling uh, the side, the symptoms of depression. So this talks about how cognition affects your physiology. Mm-hmm. So this can be actually counterintuitive and like contradictory, considering what we just talked about mm-hmm. about. Our, our physiology affecting yeah. our psych, uh, psychology but um, like 
I think it's something worth looking into mm-hmm. because I feel like your way of thinking about this is gonna be like more psychologist, yeah. but your way of thinking about something can influence the benefits of that mm. experience, right? Right. So, um, for example, if you're an athlete and you're experiencing a lot of pressure mm. to succeed. Mm. That's a negative uh, effect yeah. on that sport that you're doing. Mm. So that can make it not like beneficial for your body, right? Like, Does like that make bene- sense? beneficial, like as in like in a physiological way. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I like how you think about that. Sport. Yeah. Mm. Both. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's something worth looking into. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think that exercise and mental state is very bi-directional. So you have exercise affecting your mental state and mental state affecting your perception of exercise. Mm. You know? Yeah. So the way that you think about... So if you just think exercise is positive, exercise is great, Mm. there are some other arguments that come about when you're thinking about that because overwork, over-exercise. Yeah. Or like people, athletes with a lot of pressure from exercise. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah, and that can affect. Okay. Yeah, and so that... You, mm. So you thinking that exercising is good. Mm. Just even that, just knowing that. Yeah. Or you thinking that. Yeah. Directly affects how you feel after you exercise, even. Yeah. It seems very, like... That makes sense, though. I, it seems a little bit all, all over the place, but I feel like, for example, as I explained to you before, when I'm running on the treadmill, right? If I have a negative association with exercise, yeah, I'm not. I feel like I wouldn't get the benefits mm. of that exercise really, because you're at least I wouldn't feel it. Mm. You know, maybe physiolog- physiologically, you might like. Your body might be better, but your mental state will not be better. Yeah. Because it, it, with the theory of constructed emotion, right, your surroundings affect the way that you think about your physiological responses, as mm. I explained. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling that, as I said, the stress response that's induced by exercise, but you have a negative idea of exercise, then your I feel like your body will interpret that as a negative, negative. stress response. So I feel like that could be an interesting uh, way to look at it. Yeah, but that's still, it doesn't mean that it's not effective, right? Like Mm. it could be, you know, how you take a placebo pill Mm. that, and doctors say, oh yeah, if you take this, your stomach ache will go away. You take it, you think it'll be good and it actually does make it better. Yeah, in some cases. Like maybe it could be, yeah, it could be something related to that. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing thing mm. you know like yeah. it's still an it still effect works. <laughs> yeah so i guess it's yeah. that's okay as well yeah yeah okay so you went through three things yeah. to sum it up so like the three approaches so one is like the chemical uh, approach to it so the release of like uh, neurotransmitters and hormones mm-hmm. that make you feel better yeah pretty much yeah and then the second is like the physiological approach which is by you uh, by having exercise, which is which could be thought as a stressor, mm. 
it helps you deal with other stressful situations in your life, maybe. Yeah, it helps to like put that neutralize. Yeah, I guess because yeah, it helps with the hyperactivity of the stress response in depression. Okay. Yeah. And the third is the psychological approach, which we just explained mm. by you thinking that exercise is beneficial. Mm. Then it mm. it's, it's hard to explain, but but I feel like that's not the that's just like my own little tangent of it. Mm. But I feel like the overall um, the there's an ex uh, what do you call it? There's a popular hypothesis about exercise being a distraction from your problems. Mm. So distraction being the key word. Mm. So um, that's the psychological part. Yeah. Okay. And even just like you exercising and you becoming a healthier person, you know, like physi- mm. physi- physiologically, mm. you know, and that could have like an indirect yeah. effect on the brain. Yeah. Maybe. That idea in itself, I feel like, is why a lot of people feel good after exercise mm. because they feel like they're doing the right thing. Right. So if you're procrastinating but you're procrastinating with work Mm. i've experienced um (laughs) then you still feel like it's the right thing to do yeah you know yeah i feel like that was a very shit example but it makes sense it makes sense it makes sense (laughs) just by thinking you're doing something good yeah yeah for sure um and maybe i know you're not like a full-on sport exercise expert but have there been any studies on like how what kind of modes and frequency intensity of exercise is beneficial. Do you think resistance training is still beneficial for what you, the three points you just mentioned? I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but from what I've read, I yeah. feel like um, the benefits aren't mode specific at the moment mm. because there's a lot of different studies that have been conducted to try and find out the benefits of exercise. And they've used both aerobic and anaerobic studies. Mm. Um, in terms of the the what do you call it, the chemical aspect of it, we can't really measure that in humans. Right. But in uh, studies on animals like rats, they've actually used what was it? They used wheel running. Um, so that would be aerobic, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> when I think about that, I just imagine a rat doing resistance training, <laughs> strength training, bench pressing. Yeah. So it's hard to find mm. that because there's only really animal studies. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But the other two, like two and the physiological and the psychological, mm. it I feel like it could link to resistance training as well. Mm. Yeah. Hmm, for sure, because it's definitely too like it's definitely a stressor for you training with weights, yeah. and it's also you thinking it's a good thing when you're training with weights. Yeah, it could also be beneficial. Maybe yeah, I don't know about the first one though. But yeah. yeah, I like, mean like if I'm lifting up a, a box, mm. like when I'm moving house or something, mm-hmm. that's annoying. Yeah, but then when I'm I don't really lift, but yeah. if you're lifting, yeah, like weights in the gym, yeah. it's like I'm doing something good for my body. Mm. So the mentality is really important. Yeah, for sure, mentality, <laughs> which yeah. leads me on to the next topic. <laughs> yeah, like even just like right now in this current situation of the coronavirus, mm. and you having to have to stay indoors. Yeah. Not being able to do something that would seem like, you know, that could be a good thing. 
Like going outside, going for a walk, going to the gym. But you can't really do that. I feel like, okay, uh, lockdown quarantine is such a very, such a good idea to, you know, keep the virus from spreading. And there's been tons of studies done on that. Yeah. But do you think on the other side, I'm not saying that quarantine is bad,、mm. that people staying indoors for such a long time, they have some like psychological,、uh, negative psychological effects. What do you think if you stayed indoors for, for months? Do you think that has. I would like to hope not.、Mm. But even like first hand experience,、mm. staying indoors for a couple weeks、mm. has had effects on me.、Mm. Um, and I think it's because. Of the lack of structure that we have in our lives, of、mm-hmm. going outside, going to work, going to the gym, and like having a space for you to do some, do one thing and focus on that one thing has disappeared、mm. with quarantine. So I feel like this lack of structure really has an effect on our lives、yeah. because we're not getting the correct reward. What do you call it? Stimulus reward. Like mechanism going on there. So I feel like that can be bad for your mental health.、Mm. And also the lack of exercise. Yeah. Which,、um, do you want me to talk about the benefits of exercise? <laughs>、um, yeah, so the lack of exercise, I feel like with this quarantine, is going, everybody's going to stay indoors and live a sedentary lifestyle.、Mm. So that can have. Tremendous impacts on、mm. our mental health We, for like the reasons that I've mentioned. Yeah. So it's going to make us a lot more susceptible to stress. Yeah. And like we're going to, yeah, I guess we're not just, we're just not going to have those benefits that I talked about. Yeah, for sure. And we, like us human beings, we strive on social interaction. Yeah. And, and social stimulus. Yeah. So it's like not having any of that, it's like not. Living, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention the, so- the social aspect of it, which、mm-hmm. is like a big factor. Do you think it's the same as people、so- uh, interacting outside and people interacting through the internet? I don't think so. Yeah, I would, I'm more of the meet them face to face kind、yeah. of person, so I don't know. It's not with the with Zoom and stuff like that, it's like audio and visual,、mm. that's all.、Mm. There's no other aspect of it. There's no sense of touch. Yeah. You're going to touch your friend.、Um, <laughs> smell? Yeah. You're not going to smell your friend. And your different little social cues that、mm. you get. It's just one screen. It's、mm. very limiting. More limiting than we think it may be. Because、yeah. we feel like just having conversation is just con- like exchanging words.、Mm. But that's not all it is. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I personally don't like talking or having interviews through the internet、mm. because I feel like I can connect more with that person if I talk to them face to face. It makes such a big difference. But I don't know if, if it might not be the same with other people because、yeah. other people have nomikais on Zoom,、yeah. parties on Zoom. I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. I mean, it's so different. I feel like with this coronavirus, The society will change,、mm. like be impacted by it. So, more, there might be more like digital meetings,、mm. virtual meetings, sorry,、um, in the future.、Um, but 
I feel like that's just our way of adapting to the environment, right? Mm. Obviously, we need social interaction. We need mm. to go outdoors. But it's just we have to take the measures necessary right now to adapt to our environment. Yeah. And maybe it's okay, but it's like if it went for months, mm. it would be very hard, don't you think? Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. But as with anything, I feel like humans can have the ability to, you know, mm. um, adapt mm. just to their environment. Adapt, Inc. My brother's company, guys. Follow them. Follow them. And also, sorry, I might go a little bit off topic. Mm-hmm. But as regards to, like, the coronavirus, when I talk to other researchers yeah. or friends, they usually mention... Well, I have very optimistic friends, mm. and they usually mention revolution. Revolution. Revolution? Evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Beatles album. <laughs> no, but revolution makes sense. It could be revolutionary. Oh, yeah. But talking about evolution, like biological evolution. Yeah. What is that? What do get, they mean? I'm going to get hated if I... It's just your opinion. Mm. What do your friends talk about? Like theories, like it was meant to happen. Like theories. <laughs> Evolution. It's not that theory. it was meant to happen. It's just it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, Without yeah. even us knowing, right? Yes. And we adapt to that environment. Well. And the. I guess it's a little bit survive. hard to answer that because, like, with this coronavirus, there's death tolls, and you know that things are happening Mm. but i don't know how much we adapt to like other animals you can see them adapting to their environment Mm. or the humans i feel like a lot of people say that we're out of the food chain because Mm. we've actually constructed a world of our own basically and we've constructed systems that don't depend on those things but now with this big ass coronavirus i just (laughs) sounded like so australian (laughs) big ass yeah it's impacting our structure of that we mm. created, you know. So even like I feel like your answer to that question will be yes and no, you know. But right now I feel like we're really more closer to the animal side of things than mm. human. Does that make sense? I guess so. So with the coronavirus, there's like, what do you call it? we're actually within evolution Mm. whereas with that voice (laughs) whereas with other things it's like we can sustain ourselves on our own Mm. you know like with um what do you call it i guess earthquakes aren't really evolution like part of i guess it It could could be be, yeah but we do adapt pretty well yeah Yeah. Mm. so i don't know it's a bit of a rough patch there and it's hard because, like, it's not... Well, of course it's dangerous. Mm. But I don't know. I'm not going to say that. But you want to go outside? No, no, no. It's like... It might not even be as dangerous as the measures that we're taking. You know? And mm. it's more of, like, a political, social, infrastructural... Yeah. Infrastructural... Yeah. For sure. ...issue. And... More, maybe that's a part of evolution as well. I guess us reacting to it in and taking measures from like 
considering the economic perspective, the yeah. political experience. Well, if you're looking at it from like an individual evolution perspective, right? Evolution, the theory of evolution mm-hmm. comes about with variation within a species, mm-hmm. right? Um, a change in environment. With that change in environment, that's a selective pressure. So that actually wipes out a certain percentage of our species. Mm. And that's the cost that we have to take yeah. in order for humanity or humans to evolve. Mm. That is a concept of all, not just humans, but animals in general. Like That's the, the concept of evolution. We need to have some people wiped out without that variation mm-hmm. to survive, as cruel as it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about economy and if you're talking about businesses, now we're talking about communities. We're not talking about the individual level anymore. Yeah. We're talking about more of this com- like this uh, collective yeah. evolution. Mm. And I feel like that is a little more difficult and complex mm. when you think about it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know. Do you think we'll be more ready for it like in the future if there were to be another virus? In terms of society and the cult, not the cultural, the yeah, the social part of it, yes, it has taught us different ways that we can adapt. But biologically, we will never know. Mm. Yeah, because it's like the new virus, right? Like we can't know the structure. We, I mean, we do know the structure. We can't find any ways to combat mm. that. Yeah, but I feel like the with the vaccines, right? Like it's gonna take a while to develop. And that's the that's what people have in mind when we're talking about like social distancing and staying indoors and stuff like that. So I feel like that's really all we can do right now. Mm. If you're not a what do you call it immunologist, virologist. Hi Jerry. Hi Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I just want to mention that if it it's, I think it's a good chance for us to think about general health. Yeah, because I, sure. I know that a lot of like people who does die of the virus or who suffers a lot with the virus has mm. some sort of pre-existing condition, medical condition. Yeah, and like if this doesn't, this virus doesn't make a lot of people realize, and I'm sure it has, mm. that eating healthy, eating healthy, doing what's best for our bodies is mm. beneficial. Then I really don't know what mm-hmm. else. Mm. Yeah, so maybe it was a Can't good. I don't know. I don't want to say wake up call, but mm. if you could think any positive about this virus, po- mm. positively, mm. then I think it could be that. Yeah. Well. And also, like in terms of just things that you could do, mm. I was thinking, like you know that um, that meme that you posted on your Facebook, right, of the running one. Oh yeah. <laughs> what is it? What was it? Um, I was like, I wonder I... if he's thinking about me. Oh, I'm going to. If I if I don't um. If I don't get to that pole before that car, I'm going to die. Yeah. So he's running. I feel like you could implement that into like now. Mm. Okay. Like, so if you're, that's not a real threat, Mm. you know, but you're creating these these little like goals in your brain to trick yourself into reaching that goal. Mm. So I feel like with this lack of structure, we can create illusions for ourselves mm. to achieve what we want to do. Mm. So I think that's a really good idea. Like health-wise. Achieve I mean, what you well, health do. as well and like in terms of like work goals as well. Right. So 
creating like false deadlines mm. or goal setting and just like creating spaces for working as well like in this space i'm gonna just focus on work yeah you know so that could be a way that that could help mm. and that could be another adaptation that we have yeah maybe people could be more awakened by other things activities like programming and stuff. we would hope so people a lot of my friends are getting into programming because of this virus yeah so i mean it's part of nature yeah that's all i have to say you're gonna get hate <laughs> i can and i can only say that because i'm a healthy individual mm-hmm. you know and i and i hate that yeah so it's a touchy subject it is Okay, so we're just coming up on time. If you could, one last question. <laughs> one last question. If you were to recommend one thing to do every day that could benefit better your brain health, health, your opinion, what is the one thing? It could be even like a mental, like telling yourself this or living with a smile on your face. What would it be? Making a funny face. Um, that's really hard. What do you try to do every day in your life to better yourself? Do yoga? Meditate? I do a lot of things. Yeah. But I feel like one thing is that does it have to be one activity? No. Anything. Anything. Just knowing that you can change. Mm. Just repeating that in your head all the time. Right. And that life is freaking short so just having those like mentality having that mentality of like life is too short so you can you have no excuse not to change right now i mean no or you can do what you want Mm. yeah yeah that mentality is very optimistic but also not at the same time yeah (laughs) but I think that's like the one thing that has changed me. Mm. My fear of death. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will talk in another podcast. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hope that was good. No, I mean like it's what you do. And if I'm sure other people do think that I mean, way. I mean, well. it's had a huge impact on my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's too, life's too short to be worrying about petty shit. Mm. That's, all. that's true. Me too. I think about that sometimes too. Okay, where can people contact you? Where can people reach you? So my sister is Come to my on house. <laughs> on Instagram at minasakasai. Mm-hmm. You gotta say these things yourself. Oh, minasakasai. How do you spell it? M i n a s a k a s a i. Okay, M i n a s a k a s a i. And I'm on Tumblr. As. <laughs> Because <laughs> you're a teeny. And Facebook. And Facebook. And LinkedIn. Are you on LinkedIn? I think so. Whoa. Got you. And I also have a research gate. Website. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. And my sister is actually helping me with a lot of Barber Radio stuff. So cheers to her as well. Cheers. Let's mm. go drink. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. Um. Oh no 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 no. Okay, I was just gonna mention. I will link some of the studies that Minasa wants me to in the description, so you can yourself 
go to the link and maybe read some of those as well. So that might become useful. Hell yeah. Okay, thank you for being on the show, Min. Thank you for having me, Ken. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> About the radio. Okay, hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know what you thought about this um, as a direct message or comments on my YouTube version of the episode. I would love to hear about what you think. Now follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or whatever it is. We are uploading information about the episode regularly. Anyway, stay safe, stay healthy, and have a good week. Woohoo!